This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. John O'Clark, welcome to the Ocean Protect podcast. <laughs> oh, it's lovely to sit down here and chat to you, Brad and Jeremy. Uh, you've been chasing me for a while. <laughs> yeah, I do. Well, we, we actually met up. We, we, I met, met you for the first time uh, on Morton Island. We were doing a Sea Shepherd Australia a beach clean. I think it was just after the major floods we had in, in South East Queensland, which washed a whole bunch of debris onto the shore of Morton Island, which is a fair way off the coast of Brisbane. And as I'm sure you can attest to, Jono, there was a lot of styrofoam in particular on uh, Morton yeah, Island. Yeah, um, that's correct. We're, we're over there on uh, Algumpin with um, the legend Graham Lloyd leading that that one there. Graham does an amazing job. and uh, he- Doesn't he? put together a rescue cleanup series going over there on several weekends. In fact, there's a team over there this weekend doing the same thing. So it was all immediately following the latest flooding in, in Brisbane, where the the huge issue, and, and we both witnessed this very directly, was uh, the styrofoam from boat pontoons just uh, yeah. that just trashed down through the river and have, have broken up. These things are multiple hazard. You know, those uh, concrete and foam pontoons that float just below the surface of the water, a major shipping and boating hazard, and then they end up on the beaches um, spilling their guts everywhere. And it is an actual impossible job cleaning up there. So, uh, yeah. you know, this ties in very nicely with, uh, with what you guys do, looking at stormwater issues. Before we d- d- dive into our uh, key subject matter, it has to be said, congratulations, Jono. 34 years of being a teacher. I jumped on your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> that is that is impressive. 34 years of a teacher. How do you put up with kids for 34 years? I do it by having uh, having had a couple of breaks in between time. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I spent a few years out being a consultant and um, a couple of years lecturing in university. Um, so I, I had an eight-year gap in there. Just to throw a, throw a great big segue back here. Oh, we love segues. It's, <laughs> it's back in 2018. I, um, having taught for so long, I had a whole lot of long service leave banked up. And I took six months away from the job, took term three and term four off in 2018. 
having bought myself a uh, an ex-ambulance converted into a camper and I, I towed our boat to Cairns. Spent four months uh, with the goal of visiting every single shark net, every single drumline in the whole of the Queensland system. I'd be surprised if there's even people in the Queensland Shark Control Program who've visited every single one of those devices. How many are we talking? I'm going to say it's 373 uh, drumlines, plus or minus, starting at Ellis Beach, which is north of about half an hour drive north of Cairns, at various beaches down the coast of Queensland and concluding right near the border at Snapper Rock. There's also 27 shark nets, so the most northerly of those being at Mackay. That's not the regular Kentucky tour of uh, no, no, it is. And, and, and one more little um, <laughs> uh, number to throw in there too that is that 120 of those drum lines are within the borders of the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park. Right. Um, and just refresh our memory, drum lines. Give us a 101 because we've uh, we've had an episode before in regards to shark nets, but just for our listeners now. Can you explain the difference between a uh, shark net and a drumline? Yeah, and always handy to do this in these conversations. And and I'll I'll tell you now that when I first started in this um in this campaign, I didn't know what a shark net or a drumline was either. I'd I'd heard about them through my initial membership of uh, the Brisbane Sea Shepherd chapter and finding out about this this issue. And so the first time I saw a drumline was uh, also the first time I ever donned snorkeling gear. I jumped off the back of a jet ski right beside a drumline and had a bit of a moment uh, when I uh, realised where I was and what I was doing. I, w- I was at a large buoy um, and I guess those buoys are probably about you know, 800 millimetres in diameter. That's probably a lousy estimate, but there's a large buoy with a line running off to another buoy which runs off to an anchor. This is in around about 12 metres of water, except for in Cairns, it's in about two metres of water in some places, but generally on the southern part of Queensland, 12 metres of water where you've got this large buoy, it's anchored, and coming off that is a rope hanging off the bottom of that buoy with a chain and then a large hook. This is an audio recording that people will be listening to, but, you know, go two hand spans and that's approximate size of the hook at, at the bottom of this. Hanging about eight metres from the surface, uh, usually baited with, um, uh, with, a, with a fish, fish head or um, a piece of ray or shark meat. And it's there purely and simply to catch and kill sharks. So traditional Queensland drum lines are absolutely 100% designed to kill sharks. They do it very effectively. Um, it's a very large hook and, 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 the, the number of times we've seen the hook in through the mouth and coming out through the head of the shark. So it's, it's, it's pretty damn gruesome what they do. The regime for checking these drum lines is they have to average, what is it, 182 days of checking. So every second day is all they're required to check these, these drum lines. And that's an average. So we've seen drum lines that have obviously not been checked for many, many days. Yeah. So that's, that's the drum line story. There's, um, People will have also heard of something that in New South Wales is called a smart drumline. The version being used in Queensland is a more honest name for it, which is the Catch Alert drumline. SMART is an acronym, and of course, governments love a, a nice little acronym that softens everything. So SMART is an acronym that would make you think that these drumlines are somehow, you know, tech-based in a way that makes them kinder and, you know, better for the environment. SMART stands for Shark Management Alert in Real Time. And in practice, what it means is that buoy that I described earlier has an extra buoy in it and another line that attaches via a magnet to the hook. And what it does is when an animal is caught on it, it 
triggers a signal coming out of that other buoy, which is full of electronics, and it sends a satellite signal that's connected to the mobile phone network, and it has a GPS in it. It puts a signal out to the authorities that, that an animal has been caught. The GPS also allows for if that buoy gets dragged, they can track it and find it, which is, you know pretty good if you're in the business of, of, of catching sharks. We've got a number of issues with, um, with those devices. Technology itself isn't the main benefit of these devices. It's the fact that that technology allows a quick retrieval of the caught animal. Now, in Queensland with traditional drum lines, as I described earlier, you've got the every second day routine of, of checking. In New South Wales, with the smart drum line systems implemented there, those drum lines get deployed in the morning, retrieved in the afternoon, and the contractor stays on the water. And when that alarm goes off, they retrieve the, the animal and it's supposed to happen within half an hour. And generally, that's what actually happens in New South Wales. Our main problem with them is the way they're deployed at surf breaks and in front of tourist swimming beaches where the flags are. What is actually a scientific device, a device that can reasonably used, be used by scientists to catch sharks for the study of sharks is now being used by government as a mitigation device. It's being put in places not for the, not necessarily directly for the benefit of science. You know, if you're doing science on sharks, you're going to put them in places where you're going to catch the sharks or the places you want to study. We contend that they're put out the front of surf beaches and at surf breaks as a way of saying, we, the New South Wales government, are doing something about the shark problem and these are a safety device and they're mitigating it. And you see that in the literature they put out there. They talk about how, you know, the sharks, once they're released from them, um, leave that location for um, some time before they ever um, come back again. And, you know, there are other explanations for that as well. So then the question is, what's the link between the smart drum lines used in New South Wales and what's happening in Queensland? Back a few years ago, uh, 2019 was the final finding, I think it was. HSI, in a fantastic move, the Humane Society International, took the Queensland government and the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park to court over their use of drum lines in the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park. Because, you know, a layperson can see how obvious there is an incompatibility between having a marine park and killing sharks for safety, that's just completely incompatible because a marine park is there to uh, protect animals and apex predators are absolutely key to a healthy marine environment. And so killing sharks in that environment does not make sense. Apart from the fact that most of those beaches where they're deployed at don't have very, very many people swimming at them, there's this little issue of crocodiles up that way, which in my book are far scarier than sharks. You've also got the stinger nets in 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 the in the stinger season, so you've already got uh, a device there that would mitigate sharks from coming in in around beaches. But yeah, the Humane Society International had a successful court case, uh, won it, and the outcome of that court case was that the Queensland Shark Control Program had to change its operation within the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park. Now, no, only within the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park, not everywhere else. And the main finding was that they had to change over to a non-lethal program, catch, tag, release. They did do some changes there, but this was after Mark Ferner led a um, challenge in court over technicalities. They lost that as well. The changes they made were 
uh, daily checking and also substituting some of the 120 drum lines that are in the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park with these smart drum lines. Now, in Queensland, they rebranded the smart drum lines to catch alert drum lines, effectively the same device. They are changing trace lines and and the types of hooks, etc. cetera. Um, and I believe that is in an effort to reduce the fatalities that occur. We went back there last year to follow the program where they're trialling it. Now, at this stage, the Queensland Shark Control Program is only trialling a small number of these catch alert drum lines, substituting them for traditional drum lines at Yapoon. It's at three beaches at Yapoon. There are six beaches at Yapoon that have drum lines. They're only trialling it at three beaches. And the way they're doing it is um, where there's a line of, of drum lines, every second traditional drum line has been substituted for a catch alert drum line. So the, so the court told them they had to get rid of these mostly drum lines and they've just done a, to be honest, a fairly token trial in a very isolated part of the Great Barrier Reef. The intent behind the court ruling is to make the entire system within the Great Barrier Reef non-lethal. In some ways, it was soft. I think the shark control program is probably doing the bare minimum. That said, I do think there are people within the shark control program and within the department who do want to see change. They do want to see Mm. a move away from this old barbaric system of killing sharks in the name of, of, of safety and are trying to move things along. I believe that they are making efforts to make it scientific, but it's happening at a glacial pace. And I think the chief source of the slowness in it is back at the minister, and that is Mark Ferner, MP, the, the, the member for Fernie Grove, who's the Minister for Agriculture and Fisheries. I think he is absolutely the stopper in this. You know, there, there may well be supporters for, for, you know, the old system within the department, but having been doing what I've been doing for the last eight years and seeing the personnel change, I think that most of the personnel, are, they're more communicative with us and they're more public with uh, with what they're doing. I, I think that's happened across government anyway. But mm. uh, yeah, so I, I think there are efforts, but it is being slow because of politics rather than science. Mm. We actually recorded an episode with Andre Burrell and Lauren Sanderman in August of 2021. So season three, episode 25 for the listeners. But uh, And we, we covered obviously this issue of shark nets and it and we, you know, look at the science, you look at the overwhelming community support to get rid of the shark nets and the drum lines. You obviously, the, the ecological ridiculousness of drum lines and shark nets in the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park, uh, et cetera. They've shown that they don't work. They don't do anything. They give a false sense of security. But yet we still have this issue. We still have this issue that one or two politicians are, are stifling any sort of progress in this space. Meanwhile, I think... I guess another element is we're putting lives of the, of the public at risk by giving this false sense of security uh, around this potential shark potential protection program that doesn't work, which causes more damage. And meanwhile, the, the the lost opportunity to actually do something that would work is just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I find myself, Brad, often in conversation with people when they look at me with that, what the heck? I don't understand, and I, I find myself saying often, don't look for any logic in this. Don't look for any logic in the decision 
of government because it's clearly against the science, it's clearly against public opinion, and it's clearly against you know what anyone would think would be an appropriate way to mitigate the, these these safety issues. Look, there are safety issues out there in this, but I think Minister Ferner has missed several golden opportunities to move away from the uh, traditional shark control program and move it towards a uh, more environmentally friendly system that can actual provide actual safety. He, he's missed several opportunities through some kind of belligerence. Um, you know, I, I think he's the wrong style of politician to be responsible for this kind of, of program. He's not safety oriented. He is, he is just a fisherman. You know, he, he is bringing old style fisherman thinking to this. We have the beach safety program that you get when you put it in the hands of fishermen. All they can think of is how will we stop, you know, mitigate shark bites? Let's kill the sharks or fish them. And that's, that's where his thinking has, has been since day one. He had a great opportunity when HSI and AMCS won that court case. He could have come out and said, okay, the science is against us because the science presented at that court case was unequivocal. Their main witness, a scientist, was the one that gave the jaw drop moment in the, from the witness um, stand and, and said that you wouldn't put shark nets and drum lines in now to mitigate shark bites. It's a words to that effect. And that was Professor, Professor Daryl McPhee um, from Bond University. They could have come out and said, you know, the science is against us, is against the program. The law is against the program as it was. You know, this only applied to the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park, but it's many of the other shark nets and drum lines are within state-based marine parks as well. So go figure, you know, every one of our state-based marine parks has drum lines and, and, and shark nets in, in, in them as well. And they could have come out and said, you know, the third thing that's against us is public opinion because that definitely ha has been changing and it's been changing with a growing awareness that's come about. And I'll, I'll, I'll put it right out, out there that it's come about through campaigns like ours, uh, Operation Apex Harmony that's been going since 2014, but the efforts of other people as well, HSI, AMCS, CS have been in the space and other people who have been in the space back in the 80s. This, this has been going on for a, for a hell of a long time. And they could have come back out and said, you know, all those three things are against us. We're going to do some serious look at changing things over. A lot of people won't realise, but the the Queensland government commissioned their own report into asking the question, what could we do as an alternative? And it was a question I was asking myself sitting in our boat off Cairns right back in 2018 when I up there, up there and did that uh, four-month trip. I found myself sitting there at a beach. It was literally at Palm Cove I was sitting at, at in Cairns, uh, which is quite a popular tourist destination. It's one of the very one of the only beaches that will have people swimming there. It's going, how, okay, Jonathan, how how will you respond to the question of if we get rid of the the drum lines here, what do we put in place? One part of me says you don't need to put anything in place because you're taking away a device that may well be contributing to the problem and increasing risk uh, in two ways. One of them by bringing sharks into the area. And we've shown this through our own footage. We've shown it through 
uh, freedom of information or RTI right to information requests where we've got footage from the department themselves. And again, 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 we see sharks that have been bitten in half or have huge bites out of them. So smaller, smaller sharks and rays and other animals being predated upon and that bigger animal not being caught. Okay. So we've got that issue and we've got, as we mentioned before, that false sense of security. Now, false sense of security is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing because it leads people to making a decision to go into an area thinking that they will be more safe than they are and therefore changing their behaviour and, and therefore taking extra risk. I'm sitting there thinking, what would I suggest? And I'm looking at the beach and going, the solution here is going to be different at a Gold Coast beach. It's going to be different to a beach where there's a large amount of uh, you know, large waves. It's going to be different at a beach where the water's shallow, where the water's murky. There's all of these different situations. And I was asking myself this, this question at the time. I'm thinking of two very familiar technologies. One of them is, is drones and the other one is shark barriers, such as the Western Australian invention, Craig Moss's eco shark barrier, a fantastic device. I'm thinking, well, shark barriers here and down where the water's clearer are, are drones. And lo and behold, within the next 12 months, the, I think the shark control program people must have been asking themselves the exact same question as I was asking myself. And they commissioned a report. Once again, it was uh, uh, Professor Daryl McPhee who, who led that report, and it was by a company called Cardno. So an independent report commissioned by the fisheries department asking the question, what can we put at the beaches in Queensland to, to make it a non-lethal program? They've done the, um, the report and that report came out 2019. And guess what it recommends? Drones where the water has some clarity and shark barriers, eco shark barrier being the best one out of the various uh, products there. And they weren't the only solutions. They, they had a lot of uh, possible solutions they talked about. And so they actually <laughs> answered the question. They commissioned the report, answered the question. That report's public publicly available. It's there. It's, it's very comprehensive. Uh, it, it, it looks at very closely what are the pros and cons of each of the solutions that are currently available. It looks at some that aren't yet available. It dismisses some that we had dismissed. Andre Burrell, myself, and Leo from Australian Marine Conservation Society literally sat on my back deck with that report because we had this growing frustration that report was sitting there and nothing was happening. And we thought, well, what's the bit that's missing? And the bit miss that was missing was the costings. What would it cost to implement the findings of that report? And so we sat down literally with a spreadsheet and did a very, very generous costings analysis of replacing every single shark net and drumline in the entire Queensland system. So every beach that currently has drumlines or a shark net, we designed and proposed an alternative non-lethal product based on the government's own reporting and gave it to them. <laughs> we had a meeting with them and presented it to them. And uh, we had a really, it was actually a really good conversation and, and, and uh, they did give us the time to actually read it, which, you know, I'll, I'll give uh, Michael Mikaitis, the, the manager in there, the kudos for sitting down and giving us the time. We, he thought that we were out on some of the costings, but let me tell you, we believe that we were absolutely generous. Um, so when you say generous, you're, you mean conservative, obviously. You're assuming some high costs. Assuming very high costs. What we did, for example, is we said that, okay, there are six beaches, for example, around Cairns that have drum lines. Let's cost out putting the eco shark barrier at all six of those beaches. Now, eco shark barriers don't come cheap. 
I just contend that four of those beaches rarely have anyone swimming at them. Uh, they don't have patrols. If I were the government, I would I would make one, maybe two beaches in Cairns where you'd put eco shark barrier and remove the drum lines from the rest. We costed it out with six, and we followed that principle all down the coast. We costed putting in uh, another South African. Uh, barrier, which is highly expensive, probably uh, you know more than double the cost of Eco Shark Barrier. We we thought for the exercise, we'd we'd put one of those in at the Gold Coast, one at the Sunshine Coast, and that greatly increased the cost. And we came up with the cost that after five years would be similar to what they're spending now. Now, if they went and replaced every traditional drum line with these catch alert drum lines with a regime of the contractor having to deploy them in the morning, remove them in the afternoon and have a half an hour response time to them. They couldn't afford that. That would be many, many, many millions of dollars more than what they're spending now. And they're just not willing to do it, which is part of the reason for the glacial pace on it. What I just can't understand is why the obsession with drum lines. Why do they have to replace drum lines with these smart or catch alert drum lines? What's the obsession with catching sharks, doing something to sharks and releasing them? Um, and I think part of the answer is this belief that a number of people in the public who think the solution is to, to catch sharks, whether to kill them or drag them offshore and, and let them go, teach that naughty shark a lesson for being near, near swimmers. Um, it, it's kind of ridiculous. So the costings of it, of it just don't work. And there is a very, very strong case to remove all the shark nets and drum lines and replace them with um, shark barriers and drones. Now, I'm not sitting here for a, for a second saying that putting drones up at every beach in this Gold Coast and, and the Sunshine Coast is going to 100% mitigate the risk of, of, of somebody being bitten by a shark. It absolutely won't do that. But neither do drum lines and, and shark nets. And the worry is that I, absolutely fundamentally believe that they're holding non-lethal technologies to a much higher standard of science than they do shark nets and drum lines. So it's changing this space. Obviously, the Apex Harmony campaign is under the Sea Shepherd Australia you know, uh, group. So obviously, there's a lot of information taken there in terms of what drug, um, um, drum lines are and the, the the science and, you know, the inactivity and the potential innovations. And obviously you're the Queensland coordinator for Apex Harmony. And, and as we should point out, you do this in your spare time as a, as a volunteer trying to save sharks. But what is Apex Harmony and what are, what are, what are they really trying to achieve in this space? If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for 
you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Apex Harmony is a Sea Shepherd shark defense campaign. So it's fairly general in that, but we're specifically focusing on the Queensland Shark Control Program and in New South Wales, the Bather Protection Program. So there's all these issues happening in New South Wales as well, but there are differences between the way, way they operate. What's our role? We started back in 2014 when it all blew up in Western Australia when the then Barnett government, in response to some shark bite fatalities that occurred, decided that it'd be a good idea to go out and hunt and kill sharks as some sort of human retribution type thing that, that you know, is very, very strong and very hard to resist for, for particularly a, um, a, a right-leaning government. Our main strategy right from the beginning was to bring light to it because this whole system has been opaque in Queensland since 1962, in New South Wales since 1937. So we've got decades. This is the 60th year in, in Queensland of this program. And most people have known very little about it. Indeed, I knew nothing about it in 2013. Nothing. You know, people just didn't know about it. Tourists coming in didn't know about it. And yet it's a program to provide safety for our tourists. Tourism operators won't use the S word, which is weird because they use the, the, they use the crocodile word. <laughs> they won't use the shark word. I don't get it because crocodiles are a lot scarier. Mackay and North, you've got crocodile signs on every estuary at every beach. Mm. It's, it's a public education approach. We won't do that with sharks, and, and I, I think that needs to change. One of the big things you ought to contend with, of course, is, is the Murdoch press. So we've come into this up against an opaque government program, a complicit, frothing Murdoch press that loves it every time there's a shark bite. That might sound contentious, but I would say that the Murdoch press love it when someone dies from a shark bite because they use it to sell newspapers. Um, the Peter Wish Wilson-led Senate inquiry showed that very clearly with the obscene number of times that the newspapers rerun stories when there is a shark bite incident, particularly a fatality. They run it dozens of times over days to make people feel like these things happen more often than they do, to make feel, people feel that they happen closer to them than they do, and to make it feel very real and close to everyone. And Jonathan, the number one thing, the reason they do that is a little thing called clickbait, excuse the pun. 100%. That's all it is. Yep. That is something that needs to change. And, and I think that can be done through good leadership in government rather than this pandering nonsense that we, we've got now that comes from, from a minister who buys straight into it. He does not take um, an educative role in this at all. You know, when we had a surfer fatally wounded two years, I think, back in uh, down at the Gold Coast, you know, a tragic incident, he wasn't there explaining the risks. He wasn't there explaining that we can do better in this mitigation. And he certainly didn't seem to be scared about being sued for having shark nets there. Now, why do I say that? I get told many, many times that 
the reason government doesn't change over to a non-lethal program is that they're running scared that should a fatality or a shark bite follow a change from the current shark net and drumline mentality to a program of non-lethals that they'd somehow be held responsible or get sued. They haven't with either of the fatalities that have occurred at drumline and shark netted beaches in Queensland. They haven't with the dozens of other shark bite incidents that haven't resulted in fatalities. They just don't acknowledge those. So we've been trying to get underneath this opaque cover of the shark control program by bringing it into the public eye and showing people what they're doing. So part of that has been about, and we have to do this in a very sensitive way, is is to talk about the problem and the ineffectiveness of it as shark bite mitigation. So you've got to talk about shark bite incidents and shark bite fatalities. We've done that, been doing that. And the other thing that we've been doing is literally getting in the water at shark nets and drum lines with our cameras and showing people the result of putting those uh, devices in the water. And so we've, we've brought photographs of, of sharks, rays, dolphins, turtles and sharks dead and alive in those devices to people. And, and, and a lot of it's absolutely horrific. And um, it's a difficult thing to do, but we've been on it for years. Some curtailment of that has occurred because the Queensland government took the opportunity a couple of years ago when they had a review of the Fisheries Act. Now, why is this important? The Fisheries Act in Queensland mandates a shark control program. They're required to have a shark control program in Queensland. It is legislated, it is law, and it comes under the Fisheries Act. Therefore, it's a responsibility of the fisheries minister. Hence what I say, this is the beach safety program you get when you put it in the hands of fishermen. We don't have a beach safety department. We don't have a human safety department. So which department would you put it in if you've got to have a program of beach safety, of shark mitigation in Queensland, and my answer to that is the Department of Environment and Science. Now, if you put this program in the Department of Environment and Science, you might get some environmental thinking and you might get some um, listening to the science, listening to their own um, scientists on the uh, scientific working group, which they have, which they have to have because of problems with running these programs in, in marine parks. So surf life-saving Queensland, for example, like the all the surf lifesavers with their red and yellow caps doing a marvellous job across Queensland, New South Wales and beyond. They're obviously working in, uh, to, for the protection of users of well, swimmers, bathers, et cetera, on our beaches. Who's, who, which government sort of looks after or oversees the surf lifesavers? Is that a government department at all? Obviously, there's a, it's a charity. No, it's not a, gov- it's not a government department. They do receive government funding. And I think this in part, demonstrates a conflict at the management level within that organisation. The government funding, I I think, has the effect of the hierarchy in that organisation supports the program to a certain extent. I would contend that the people sitting in the towers, the surf lifesavers, most of them know that shark nets are BS. Once you put a bit of education in place and explain what goes on and explain an alternative view. I've had a lot of uh, conversations with surf life-saving dudes um, about just, just this subject. I believe that you can turn people who don't understand all the aspects of this, you can turn them around and, and turn them towards non-lethal alternatives. I've always maintained that the flying drones, 
has a huge number of benefits, provided you put them in the hands of beach safety experts. That, to me, means putting them in the hands of surf life-saving people. Now, you've got to do it in such a way you're not going to dilute what their personal now already do because, you know, they are the number one beach safety program in the country. They save many, many lives. It is a huge tradition in, in this country. Surf lifesavers are the reason that over the years we don't have more shark bite fatality. When they do occur, having surf lifesavers there to provide that immediate care and get people off to hospital is, is absolutely critical whenever there is a shark bite incident. So you can't underscore the importance of, of surf lifesavers. Do you currently have them on board? No. Because, yeah, this is the key. If you if you got them on board, uh, you'd go a long way because, as you say, um, it's a big part of our history. They're a huge organisation, and they are on the forefront. Um, if you if you could get them on board and get them going, going to their various governments, that would be a huge huge sway in your favour. I, I, I think the rank and file and surf life saving the personnel would be on board, like probably eighty percent of the rest of the population. The hierarchy isn't. Back in 2017 with the Senate inquiry, the last page of the Queensland Surf Lifesaving submission to that Senate inquiry called for more drumlines in three rivers. They asked for drumlines in the Painter River, the Maroochy River and Talabudra Creek. Go figure. I was dismayed at that. And, and you know, it begs the question, does, does the Surf Lifesaving Society hierarchy now still support that request. Um, it, it, it beggars belief. Yes, it'd be fantastic if we could get them on board, but I'd say at the moment we don't have um, them on board, although they are the number one organisation for the trials of drones that are occurring, which is a great thing. The drone trials absolutely should be in the hands of Surf Life Saving and where the trials are occurring, it's Surf Life Saving doing it. We need that to filter into great advocacy from that organisation to get rid of the shark nets and the drum lines. All that said, I'll go back to Andre Burrell, and you, you've mentioned Andre a, a few times, and, and just to backtrack a little bit for people here, Andre Burrell is the director who brought us the documentary Envoy Shark Cull. It's on, on stand at the moment, and there's, I've just announced that it's going to be released to the world. 18th of July, I think, is, is the date. We've got that, that coming out. But it's been out for a few years now, but we struggled with, you know, releasing a documentary to the world through cinemas at just when uh, all the COVID lockdowns uh, were occurring. So that slowed things down a bit. But we were so lucky that Andre Burrell came along. Now, when I say we, Apex Harmony was lucky that Andre Burrell came along. HSI, AMCS, Maddie Stewart, who's been working in, in shark conservation for, for many, many years. All of us were really lucky that Andre came along because he was able to put together a documentary that brought together a whole lot of people working in separate organisations who we were trying to coordinate and talk together, but he was a catalyst who managed to come in from the outside and bring us all together and build a documentary that has 10 of us as envoys featured in that, featuring our work over the years and presenting a, a, a united voice, a, a united message on this. And that work is continuing. And that's where we are working very, very strongly now. Lauren Sanderman, who you featured on one of your podcasts, is now working as uh, Endangered Species Coordinator for Sea Shepherd Australia and is coordinating at a national level Apex Harmony right now. 
Yeah, and it's a great story to tell. Like like you said, it synthesizes or, or brings together so many people from all different backgrounds, all different organizations, more or less saying the same thing, that these shark nets, drum lines are ineffective, inexpensive, false insecurity, don't work, make our beaches less safe. But this lone ministerial voice is saying, oh, I've, you know, only one death since shark nets have been installed, and that's enough science, or two deaths, that's that's enough science for me. I'm, I'm thinking, that's not science. That's that's rubbish. But uh, for me, it's this is the purpose of the podcast as well. It's basically just getting this conversation going. Like I'm probably the same as you, and maybe the same as Jeremy. In that I grew up in Noosa, swam there the beaches all the time. I'd heard about a shark net and heard about these drum lines, but didn't really think about what they even look like. And you and you and you see them the the visuals, the, the, a lot of that imagery that has come from Apex Harmony incorporated into the film. Just it makes it so obvious. These. I think the analogy I, I think we talked about last time was it, it's like having a, a pink a table tennis uh, net across a tennis court. It's just a waste of time. It's just a, compl- a complete waste of time. But I think the more we bring it awareness to this issue, uh, the, the, the more we sort of, I guess, uh, promote better and more effective solutions. I, I, I can't see how change couldn't take place in this space. The fact that this technology hasn't changed for n- 90 years Meanwhile, we're talking, we're walking around with smartphones and stuff. It's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned Noosa. Um, I think it was August 2018. I happened to be passing through. I spent the night in my van at, um, Maruchidor and, and, and woke up in the morning thinking I was going to be heading back to Brisbane and, and my phone's pinging off as it does because a whale had become entangled at that, um, at that Noosa net. So I sprinted up, up to Noosa camera in hand and and having called a friend who had a jet ski and we went out to that to that now one of my takeaways from that brad was standing at that beach and i could clearly see the shark net i could clearly see the whale but i know what i'm looking for and i looked around me at all these people who were completely unaware it was in fact a a calf it was a whale calf the mother was uh surfacing on one side of the net she'd blow and then she would dive down and then go under the shark net and come up the other side, clearly agitated. You know, my other takeaway was the risk to the guys who go out to do the cut the nets to to get them out, that risk is extreme. Go figure, a humpback whale mother can swim underneath a shark net. And she did. I watched her do it several times. Brad, when you use that that analogy of, of the table tennis net, if people believe that a shark net is meant to be some kind of barrier to protect them to stop sharks coming to a beach. That analogy illustrates it perfectly. It's a false sense of security. I mean, they call it a shark net. You go, well, that's obviously a net that's going to protect me. So not only they can go underneath them, but they can just go around them. Exactly. Um, And further that, Jeremy, the New South Wales government, and this operates under the DPI, they have a leader in shark science. They did a study to answer the, the question, which side of the net do the sharks get caught on? And in New South Wales, in this study, 40% of the time, the sharks get caught on the beach side of the net. So they'll come in, they'll swim around, they've gone, hey guys, and they're going back out and they get caught. Or, or they're swimming along the gutters as they do either side and they turn and they go, you know, bad luck, they're in, in the shark net. Yeah, but go figure, 40% of them inside. Now, that doesn't mean 60% are on the outside. Sometimes they can't identify because it gets in, twist up, and gets cut around. So let's call it half. <laughs> That's, um, uh... That bit of actual science done in Australia 
is is pretty unequivocal and would surprise those people that think a shark net is is some kind of barrier and and when you explain that people will give you that that look of hang on that doesn't make sense and i'll say don't look for any logical sense in this <laughs> you know the whole damn thing is a nonsense you know this is the overwhelming message that i take away from this thing the whole the shark inverted commas protection program let's call it for it is a shark cull program is just lacks complete logic. It just, no matter which way you look at it from an ecologist perspective, a, a, a beach user, fisherman, the whole thing just doesn't make sense at all. It's outdated, archaic, and just needs to get be gotten rid of and replaced with something that actually does work. You know, we often use those words outdated, archaic, fairly flippantly, but what you just said in this case is literal. It is outdated because there are very serious, scientifically-backed mitigation strategies that, that could work. It's outdated and archaic. We are dealing with a system that was fundamentally designed back in the 1930s. The Queensland system is, is just developed from the New South Wales system, uh, where the shark nets down there are slightly smaller, 150 metres Bottom set rather than top set, but once again, 400 metres offshore, 12 metres of water. Think of that, a single 150 metre shark net at Bondi Beach. What's that, three kilometres wide, that beach, something like that? <laughs> yeah. We're obviously preaching of the choir in many respects, but I think it is still important to raise, uh, continue to raise awareness about this issue, hopefully with the confidence that will change will occur. And it has to be said, I ta- I, I've said this before, we've had many, many Sea Shepherd Australia superstars on our podcast, Lisa Dix, Graham Lloyd, uh, Lawrence Anderman, et cetera, and obviously now yourself, uh, Jono. Look, from the bottom of my big heart, uh, thank you guys so much for all the amazing work that Sea Shepherd Australia do. You know, the fact that you guys do this as volunteers is is incredible. The, the key thing I really like about Sea Shepherd Australia is that you are very effective. You pick your campaigns. You pick your battles very well. And this one is like, I think a lot of Sea Shepherd Australia campaigns, this is one you can actually make significant change in. So in that regard, well done for you and for all your team's efforts. And I am very, very confident that we'll see change in this space in the not too distant future. People want to know more about Sea Shepherd Australia, particularly the Apex uh, Harmony campaign. Just Google it. Just jump on seashepherd.org.au. And there's also obviously the Operation Apex Harmony. But Jono, thanks so much for coming on our show today. It's wonderful to have a chat with you. And all I can say is just keep up the great work. Yeah, mate. I can't wait to have you back on in a year's time. Tell us all about it. Tell you about the successes. We've ticked all these boxes. Absolutely. Uh, Brad and Jeremy, thank you so much for the opportunity. Good on you. Thank you. Boom, boom. Shake the room. Boom, boom. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.